what we just did is we read a whole book of the Bible. Right here together. We read a whole book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. Four chapters. And you know what? It is one of the most significant stories in all the Bible. It is incredible. And I can see how this ties right in with the Christmas story. Can you guys? What uh, we just finished with, with that genealogy, leads it all right up to our Savior, our Redeemer. And uh, that is very significant. This story was uh, not by accident. It was all planned by God. Every bit of it. Everything that we did. And with the reading of that, um, there really isn't a whole lot of comments to really be made because the story says it for itself. But what we're going to do is make a few comments on it as we go through. And um, maybe we can pick up on a little bit of the customs and the culture if uh, we're not familiar with some of those things that were going on. And maybe that can help us see how this works with the, the incarnation, uh, the Christmas story and everything that uh, God has in mind. Now, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll do it in an expository manner, but I'm not going to touch every verse because you guys have already done that. But we'll give just a little bit of, of notes to it here. It says it was during the days of the judges. And when you think of the days of the judges, one line that I always think of found in Judges 17.6 and 21.25 is this. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the time that they live in. Now I think that pretty well defines the time that we live in, right? Once we get through this story, we're going to see how this comes into play with each one of us. Uh, there is a definite theme that is interwoven in here, but we're going to see how this also applies to us. This is a time where light is seen in the time of utter darkness spiritually. I think there's uh, chaos and wickedness going on in our times. There was chaos and wickedness going on in the time of Israel. As we read this story, uh, there really weren't nice things going on. But we see some people who remained faithful to the truth. We just saw some of those characters as we read through there. Most people were not godly, were not faithful, but these people were. And God is working through them, these principles of truth here. So the first one we're going to look at, and I didn't put anything to be put on the screen today. If we want to have any of those pictures back up, Zach, you can do that or just take a break. Uh, I'm always thankful for Zach being able to put up all of these different things that just kind of enhance our worship. That's what I like to call it. It enhances uh, the lyrics, the, the pictures behind it. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm so thankful. And uh, he's been faithful with that. And, and everybody, everybody here that contributes in so many different ways. So everyone is valuable. But the first point is, uh, you'll notice your outline actually is in the bulletin. Though. I did do an outline. I didn't take a whole week off here totally. I was going to let you guys do the work. But um, uh, if you want to take a look, you can kind of see how it follows along. The first one is dealing with the providence of God. Don't you guys love to talk about the providence of God? The only thing is, when you talk about the providence of God, you talk about the bitterness along with it too, along with the sweet, Right? Well, unfortunately, we do not have sweet lives all throughout our days, every day of the year, because we are Christians. <laughs> that is not uh, the point of the reason why we exist. Uh, we exist because of God. 
It's all God's story. This is His story. He had this all planned out and He had each of those individuals planned out to work right through it. The hand of God is in this story even though you really don't see a lot about God here, do you? Not a lot mentioned, although He is definitely there. Uh, We know that Naomi is bitter and we know that God rules the rain and the snow and the ice that we've all encountered already this month, right? We encounter that. It hasn't been that ugly, but it can be. Uh, There was a famine in the land. That's pretty bitter. And really, you know, you can take this story and parallel it along with another story, a story that was found in Genesis, a story about Joseph. Joseph found himself in a terrible circumstance. And we know that by the time we get to the end of Genesis, we see that God meant it for good. And He does. Everything is going to work out for good. Everything. And you can say, I don't understand how that can be. Well, this book of Ruth here kind of shows us uh, there is hope, isn't there? Uh, That song that was done during the offertory, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I think of the minor key and I think of the sin and the darkness that people were in and the people were hoping that something could change. There's no hope. There is nothing for me. There's nothing for our country. And yet we see that God is weaving His pattern in there perfectly. And that's what's happening right here. Now, Naomi is saying... God is against me. Naomi says, don't come along with me to her daughter-in-laws. Don't come because God is against me. And this is going to affect you even further if you do. She thinks that this is hopeless. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the darkness so long that it just seems hopeless? And all you readers made that. As I, as I go through the story, even though I know, I know at the end of it, I'm, I'm trying to feature how, how the people really felt and how she felt. Uh, she, she was committed to the fact that God is going to do His thing on her and she can't do anything about it. And, and to a point, that, that is right. Um, the daughter-in-laws want to remain committed to the family name. But there's no hope. I mean, she's not going to bear any more sons. And Ruth wants to hang around with her. But we know that God is the one who finally breaks the famine back in Israel, uh, as we uh, have noticed here in um, this first chapter. And so she hears the news, and she starts going back home. The daughters-in-law want to go and she tries to convince them not to. One of them remains with her. Uh, Naomi has been crying out. Uh, Just stay. But God breaks the famine and He's the one that brings the Redeemer. The Redeemer. So, there's a preparation all along in this first chapter for this kinsman. Somebody who is related to Naomi's family that can carry that name on. She doesn't have any sons, doesn't have a husband. 
God, what are you doing to me? I must have done something bad. You are going to punish me from here on out. I mean, this is terrible. Imagine losing a husband and then losing your two sons. And that's it for your family. Think about it. This is real. This is not just some story, is it? This is real. This happened to a person. And we've all lost people. But when we've lost really what is left of the family, uh, there's just no hope, she's thinking. But Ruth is faithful. Ruth wants to go along with her. And she makes that famous statement, Your God is my God. She hoped in God. Your God is my God. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And whatever you believe in, I believe in. I have learned about your God. And I know He's the true one. And I want to follow Him no matter what. And I'm not coming back. I'm going to stay with you. And even when you die, I'm going to stay there. She wants to keep the name going. That is truly remarkable, isn't it? This is something. Now, Naomi has good theology. You say, what? She's so bitter. Yeah, but she has good theology. Naomi means what? Sweet. (laughs) She tells the uh, women when she gets back to her home to call her Mara or bitter. She is bitter. She's gone through some bitter times. But you know what? Does she believe that God exists? Yes. Absolutely. No matter what has gone on, Yes, she does. Does she know that God is sovereign? Yes, she does. She has a great understanding of the sovereignty of God. And you know what? She has another one. She knows this, that God has afflicted her. Is that right? Oh, Dennis, let's let's stop with that. That's enough of that. I can handle the sovereignty, but God afflicting people, He doesn't do that kind of thing. Oh, no. Yes, He does. He does afflict us. Why would a good God afflict His people? I can see why He can afflict bad people, but not good people. This is the part of the story that i got a feeling a lot of people don't like. But it's true. God caused this. God even kills people. Do you know that? God takes people out of this earth. I'm glad He does, otherwise we'd live here forever waiting for glory and it never happened. He has to kill us so we can get glorified. There is a time that we will die. But in the meantime, there will be afflictions. People will agree with the death, but they don't like the idea of having to suffer. She needs to know something. She knew some pretty good things about God. God exists. God is sovereign. God has afflicted her. Now, Ruth is not an Israelite. She is a foreigner. She is a woman. She has no rights when she goes into the land. What are you doing, Ruth? You have no hope with this woman, Naomi. She's not going to bear you any kids. Are you going to wait for another 20 years to to hook up? Even if she was able to to bear a child, that's not going to happen. That's what Naomi's saying, right? But she needs to know. Naomi needs to know God's merciful purpose. We can say, okay, God has been a part of what's going on. But you know what? I know God is merciful and He has a purpose behind this. Now, that's the point where we all need to take comfort in. Right? 
The only thing is, she couldn't see it. And that's where our problems come in too. Because we can't see what's going to happen the next day. We might have an idea, but we can't see what's going to happen through the next week, through the week after that, and the next month, the next year, the next decade. We can't see what's going to really happen. Aren't you thankful that you can't? (laughs) For if you did, you might want out of this right now. But she, she couldn't see what God was doing. Bitter. She was powerfully blind. She didn't see God using a Moabitess, a pagan, a former pagan. And she couldn't see that there was going to be a child that would actually be the grandfather of the greatest king of Israel, which would be David. She can't see that. She has no idea. How could she? There's no way. We couldn't either. And He would be the ancestor of the King of kings, Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. How about that? She couldn't see any of that. She was bitter. I'm not saying that it's good to be bitter. If you can, you can keep from being bitter when you say, okay, I don't like what's happening to me, but I'm rejoicing because God is doing a good thing on me and He's, he's taking out and rooting out things on me so I can trust in Him. You know what? Faith is this. Faith can't see. Faith just trusts. Despite all the circumstances go through. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I just want you to look at God's sovereign rule just for a moment. Look in the book of Job. There's one who was afflicted by God, right? We know that. Job 38. God, why didn't you do something about it? Because he wanted to make Job stronger. Job 38.26 says here, um, he's talking about God who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass. As the rain of Father who has begotten the drops of dew for whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth, the water is hardened like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. God is in total control of everything, isn't He? And He's in control of the weather. When, it, when we have ice storms, He's control of that. We have snowstorms. When we have a beautiful sunshiny day, He's in control of that. Everything. We look in Psalm 147, verse 8, the next book over. Psalm 147, verse 8. Who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He takes care of that and all the animals and the birds, and he's in total control. And you look in Proverbs 16:33. This is about God's sovereignty, isn't it? Just everything. Aren't you glad He's in control? Even when we struggle. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Every decision is from the Lord. Incredible. I love that. Now, about God's providence and Him causing afflictions, go to Psalm 34, verse 19. 
God is a good God. And He wants to get all the stuff rooted out of us. 34.19 Many, look at this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. Do you like that? It's not that He keeps us from those. It's not that He just takes us out and we never go through them, but He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, His own people, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. And when it's all said and done, He delivers, or He redeems, He saves. And that's the way we're supposed to think in the way that our lives go on. In the New Testament, just think, you know, well, that's Old Testament, Dennis, and God is done with Old Testament thinking. Then we go to Acts 14.22, and Paul, I believe, um, is preaching a message. Uh, he turned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They strengthened the souls. And um, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Keep on. And saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. As we go on through our pilgrim's progress on the journey, we must go through many tribulations as we enter into the kingdom of God. Before we go into that. We're in the kingdom now, but there's a kingdom coming. The final one. Oh, we look to that. But must. We must go through. That's what God has designed for us. So this chapter 1 ends with Naomi full of sorrows. Do you agree? And the horizon is brightening though with great hope because God has this plan. And as she goes back because the famine is over, God is plotting for glory to happen, isn't He? Well, this looks so bad. What's God doing? (laughs) He's got the best thing you can think of. This is in the line of Christ. Now, number two is under the wings of God. This is where we're at in Ruth 2. And this is where Boaz comes in. Now, Boaz is the one who is a little bit of a distant relative, not the closest relative back in Bethlehem. That's where we're going. The house of bread, the place where David's going to be born, the place where Boaz is from, who is a kinsman. He's a relative, a little bit older. But there he is. And God has a plan for Boaz and also Ruth. Now, Boaz is a godly man. And Andrew, I want to tell you, thank you for coming today. You know, it was an accident that you would actually be here and do the part of Boaz. And believe me, we are missing Zach Whitson and Rebecca for they had two key parts in here today. And you guys just covered it just sweetly. And it was great. And the only bitter part is we're missing the presence of Rebecca and Zach and the two boys. But you know what? Still yet, Andrew comes in, plugs right in there, and that voice sounded like Boaz. Did you guys agree with that? I'm going, man, that just sounds great. (laughs) The next play, Andrew, we're going to transport you back here. Andrew is a longtime friend of a lot of us. If you haven't met him, uh, we're thankful for Andrew. He's from Evansville, Indiana. And uh, he goes to a church there that's not too unlike us, right? Very much. They're a little bit bigger in number, but they do basically what we do. And uh, as well as God's people do, right? 
Anyway, um, had to get that part in. I'm just saying, it's interesting how God just plugs in certain things and it just comes right off and praise God, right? Well, Boaz is a godly man and he is the silver lining in the clouds of Naomi's bitterness. And when, when you think about what he does here and you see his character, you go, wow, this is incredible. There's no way that this could have been planned out by who? By Naomi. Boaz comes from Bethlehem. He's related to Naomi's family. He was God-saturated. He just saw the the Lord in everything because in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, now behold. And when the Bible says behold, I want you to behold. Okay? That means there's something you need to really look at. Check this out. Examine this. This story is just going along and all of a sudden... Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. What is that? House of bread. And he said to the reapers, what did he say? The Lord be with you. Now how many bosses do you know who work for the state would say, the Lord be with you? Matter of fact, even if they are Christians, they're probably not supposed to say that anymore at the workplace, right? I've heard of people come at the store that have come in and said, yeah, I, at, my, at my place in the state job that I have, I can't even read my Bible on lunch break, even uh, if I'm doing it quietly and silently and I've got it over there at my desk. They tell him that he's got to go outside the building to read it. Is that incredible? Unbelievable. Where do we live? Well, we live in an ungodly nation as a whole. And, but God has His people. See, we're not too much different than what Israel was back then, right? But there are men of valor. There are men of God. There are men who honor God. And here we said, hey, bless the Lord. Right? Uh, he just And the Lord be with you. And you know what? His, his guys that worked underneath him, what they say? The Lord bless you. And, and they're using the name Lord or Yahweh, Jehovah. That is the self-existent one. The very name of God. The Lord be with you. So, uh, we've got a godly situation here in an ungodly society where people are doing things whatever is considered to be right in their own eyes. Okay, we have to move on because this is four chapters and only chapter two. You've got to remember, I'm not used to covering four chapters a week. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but we're going to work a miracle here today because uh, the providence of God will move us through. Um, so, do we see the character of Boaz? Man, God, godly, a man just like Joseph the carpenter was a godly man that God set up, right? Okay, how about Ruth? What, what's her character? Well, I think we've already seen her. She's a caretaker here. You know, she took the initiative to take care of her mother-in-law. And I don't know of too many daughter-in-laws who would do this for their mother-in-law to go all the way back and give themselves up like this. She was humble. You know, she didn't even demand a handout. I have this right because I'm with my mother-in-law and I'm taking care of her. So I, I demand this. I demand food. I demand this. You know, she only wanted the leftovers and she asked permission. I think she was very industrious because she gleaned until when? Evening. And she beat it out and then she measured that barley and then took it to Naomi. Now, she happened, I like that in chapter 2, she just happened to go to Boaz's field. Like that. It just happened that way, right? Because God is sovereign and He's gracious. 
even when he's silent. Boy, he's been very silent, hasn't he? And she gets favor from Boaz, as was read earlier. He provided food. He provided protection in case somebody would want to rape her. He provided for her thirst. Didn't even know who she was. Now she's, but he's learning. He's learned a little bit about. Uh, he's a wealthy man. He's a very godly man. He worked in the favor of Ruth. He had the means to be able to help her out. And Ruth expressed her unworthiness. She knew she was unworthy. She's not an Israelite. And she's a Moabitess. She's from Moab. Moab. Mexico. <laughs> She knew she didn't have any rights. She had no rights. And Boaz actually says in verse 12, this is incredible. Verse 12 of chapter 2. The Lord, and Jehovah, Yahweh, repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. He's talking to this pagan who is no longer a pagan under whose wings you have come for refuge. Where's the wings at? The Lord. He knows. He gives all credit to God. You know what Boaz is actually saying here in verse 12? That God is the one who is rewarding Ruth for her love to Naomi. He's doing some things, but he's saying God. is. He's doing that. He's like a great winged eagle and Ruth is like an eaglet. He comes and spreads his wings over, finding safety under those wings. Don't you love that? Under the wings of God. That's what uh, he's saying here. She had set her hope on God. And she set her joy on this one God. If you plead God's value for the hope and the joy... You know where your hope is at. You know where your joy is at. You have that. You go to the fountain. You get everything from there despite what it looks like. And you know what? You're looking at His own worth. You're not looking at your self-value because you're not going to see anything good there. You say, well, that's me, but that guy over there, he's doing pretty good. No, he's not. Not by himself. It's all the Lord. All the joy, all the great hope that we have, it taps right in to where that fountain is, right into God. We see the worth there. The worth is found in God's name. We're worthless. We're worthless without Him. But with Him, look what He does for us. We get our strength from Him, don't we? And that is what Boaz is saying here. I think he had great theology, didn't he? It was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi in love. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. God's in everything here, isn't He? Do you think it was any coincidence that Ruth came to Boaz's field? No, not at all. And He showed favor to this foreigner. You know what people think of foreigners? That's a Gentile. You know what Jews thought of Gentiles? The Lord directed her steps and His favor. No matter what's going on in your life, if you put the attention upon who God is, you're drawing from the right source. 
And now you don't have to think how worthless you are. You can see the worth is all found in Him. And if you're in Him, that's where it lies. You don't have to worry about your self-worth. We all need to fall on our faces and bow before this great Lord because if we confess our unworthiness and we take refuge under His wings, we'll be astonished at His grace. Are you astonished at His amazing grace? This book of Ruth is full of hope, isn't it? Now we go to the strategic righteousness. This is chapter 3. We'll probably go through this pretty quick. Righteousness, you know what that means? Well, for one way, it means a zeal for what is good and right. This is the plan. Naomi has a strategy. Naomi has a strategy and a plan. You think, oh my, this sounds R-rated. All of a sudden, we've gone into a bad part of this story. Oh no, she's going to lay there at night and uncover his feet and she's going to be there. And he's going to be there and oh, it sounds like they're sleeping together. What's going? What kind of plan has Naomi done? Is that how we're going to get this man? No, this is all done in righteousness. The strategy is that Naomi gave Ruth specific details of how to get the attention of Boaz. This is part of uh, a little bit of custom and, and wisdom being used here. There is a risk with this kind. And some could be tempted. It could have been very sexually tempting for both of them there at night like that where he was at the threshing floor. And Ruth makes it clear that she is there. And she says, spread your wings over your servant. Like, like he had said, the, the spreading of the wings actually is God Himself, but He was also going to take protection over her. She is making it known that she is uh, available. There was high purity in this Chapter 3. So when you see that story, you don't have to worry about it. It's okay. It was a good plan. But there was a risk in that plan. But Naomi knew the character of Ruth. That's why she gave it to her. And Ruth was not the kind of woman to be a loose woman. And and God used this whole thing. Now we're going to chapter 4. We're already in chapter 4, guys. We have read a full book and now we have done expositorily almost a whole book, right? The Redeemer is to be renowned. Boaz redeems Ruth. Now there might have been a challenge to Boaz because uh, he has a desire to redeem her. There's a problem. He's not the closest Redeemer. You know what? He is very honest. He could have said, Hey, I'll make this thing work. We'll just pull this off and not let this guy know about it. No, he goes to the closest redeemer. He knew, or this kinsman redeemer, that could be. He goes right to him, face to face, and he says, there is one that is, you're the closest. You can have her. Uh, the land. You can have the land. But you have to marry her. Well, he first, when he thought about the land, he says, oh, yes, yes. But then when he found out he had to marry her, uh, he says, I can't do it. It's like he has other family. He, he has other priorities. And so if there's somebody else that can do that, then that would be good too. And that's where Boaz comes in. Relief comes in the story. Because when you first see that and you say, oh, that nasty man, he's going to come in and ruin this whole story. He's going to take Ruth. But no. 
Boaz does. And we, we know how that works out in chapter 4 as it was read. Uh, Boaz now is the one to redeem her. They went through the customs and the culture, you know, and the shoe off and everything. So weird things going on, but that's, that's what they did. That's how they did business. And I'm not going to go into all those little details. You've probably heard them before. If you haven't, we'll uh, pick up a study Bible or a commentary and read it. Because <laughs> we don't have time. God was at work in the darkest of times, bringing out this amazing event. Naomi gets a son through Ruth. She gets a son. Yeah. That's the way it's kind of worded here. Um, and that's kind of the way that it takes place. Even though it's actually Ruth's son, Naomi uh, gets blessed in an incredible way, doesn't she? The name is Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. As Bob had read right at the end there, that, uh, genea- uh, uh, that uh, genealogy of Perez that goes all the way back to the history of Israel or at least as far as the names, the twelve tribes and such. Uh, God was not only planning temporal blessings. Are there temporal blessings here? Yeah, you can see it right off the uh, the bat in in her lifetime. He was preparing for the coming of the greatest king that's ever been known, ever in the history of the universe. The greatest king of Israel was David, as far as as he ruled. He... He carried hope for the Messiah. When people would say the son of David, they were thinking of the Messiah who would come. Even though it was many years later. A thousand years later, the Messiah finally did come. And we look in Matthew chapter 1, and this genealogy here is mind-blowing that God would put certain people in here. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy. Matthew, who is presenting the king, dares to name some names in here who are sinners (laughs) of Jesus Christ. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. He's not the sinner. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And now he goes back. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, and there's the name that it started with at the end of the book of Ruth. And Zerah by Tamar. Remember Tamar? Tamar played a harlot. Tamar did a sin. Perez begot Hezron. And Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab through that line. Rahab. Rahab the harlot? She's mentioned in here. She's a foreigner. Tamar uh, playing a harlot. Rahab the harlot. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, who is a Moabitess, another woman. You don't put women in genealogies, Matthew. Well, God does. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And then Solomon and all the way on through till you get down to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. There's the book. There's the Christmas story. The Christmas story started long before Christ was born in the flesh. The Christmas story even goes all the way back before Abraham. Jesus said, before Abraham... I am. 
He goes back before the foundations of the world. That's where the story began, wasn't it? And we see it being carried out in history. Who is the Redeemer? Well, I'm going to do a little twist on you here. You can say, well, Boaz is the Redeemer. Well, we know Christ is the Redeemer, right? That's really where it's pointing. But you say, Boaz is the Redeemer. And He is the Redeemer, but you know what? In chapter 4, it really doesn't say Boaz is the Redeemer. Dennis, this is going to ruin the story. Look in verse 14 of chapter 4. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. Remember she says, call me bitter. And now the blessing happens and what are the women coming back to? You are blessed this day without a close relative and may His name be famous in Israel. Whose name? Well, the one who's going to be born. And may He be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has born Him, has given birth. Who is the one that's mentioned here, the restorer of life in verse 15? That is who? Obed. Obed's a redeemer too. Incredible. Had you ever thought of that? This Redeemer here in verse 14 and 15 is the baby. He's referred to as the Redeemer in verse 14. And it's not Boaz, but Boaz actually is the picture of the kinsman Redeemer. God has all sorts of types and analogies and pictures, doesn't He? For one thing, He redeems Naomi, this, this child, from hopelessness in her old age. It's, like, it's kind of like having a grandson. Yeah. And you know, ladies know what we're talking about there, right? Special children or whoever, right? Or kids that you know. But even better, he is or will be the grandfather of David. That goes even further, doesn't it? He's going to be famous. The renown of this child will come through the offspring of David. He'll be famous because of the Christ. Through David's offspring, the Messiah. That's the farthest meaning. Did you know the story is about God's providence? It is sweet, but it's bitter. But when you look at really what the outcome is, it's always good. God is at work to bring about His purpose. Even more is God's plan is to glorify His grace in the Son of David, the Messiah, the Redeemer. Jesus Christ. Ruth, not a Jew. She was a foreigner in the lineage of the Messiah. we just seen that. God was preparing to give a king. That's how He planned it. He ordained every bit of this. He takes something so crooked, which in that genealogy we just pointed out, crookedness there, sin went on. Perez, Tamar, you know the stories. God takes something so crooked And He does something with this crookedness. He's not the one that made it crooked. But yet, all in this plan, He's using this crooked stick to make it work out perfect. It looks terrible. Doesn't it look like a mess? God's purpose is far more than anything we can ever imagine. It's far more than making ourselves great. We want to make much of ourselves, don't we? Naomi had no idea that God had such a great plan. She was. I mean, who was she? She was a nobody. 
she was short-sighted and looking at her problems. God was making her the ancestor of the Messiah and she was going around, yep, God caused it. God did that to me. And I'm bitter. That's the way it is. The best is always yet to come. It's on the horizon. We see this great purpose and how this lineage worked out. Ruth is important to each one of us because we see the great hope here. Uh, In the midst of human depravity at its worst, and here it is, God is working out His plan, cutting through all the sin, all the sinfulness of mankind, and He has this person that comes in the lineage of the Messiah. And we know this Messiah. We are unimportant people But God is going to make us important in Christ. The Moabitess was excluded by the law, but she was received by God's grace. You know what? Every one of us was a Ruth or a Naomi. We were nothing. The main purpose of this book is to bring practical application to this law of the kinsman, Redeemer. And the law made way for if one was not going to have that family name to carry it on through, that somebody in that family line could take her as a wife and then uh, keep that name going. And that's what happened. That's the providence of a loving God. Ordinary people, unimportant people during uh, tribulation and trial, the Goel, the Redeemer, as it is in Hebrew, the a blood relative. He's our, uh, here's what Christ had to do, and here's how we bring it all together. He has to meet the law of the kinsman. Does Jesus do it? Yeah. Because He's our nearest of kin through the incarnation. And you remember last week we were in uh, the uh, book of Philippians chapter 2, and where He came like man, took on the form of us, so he that's what made it legal for him to be our kinsman. Number two, the redeemer has to be able. He has to be have the power to redeem. He has to have the money to buy that land and to take over that the 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 lady. There has to be money, the power to do that. This man here in the story had it, but Jesus is the one who has the power, doesn't he? He is in the very image of God. And number three, he has to be willing to redeem. If he doesn't want to redeem, he doesn't have to do that. Jesus was willing. And number four, he has to be a free man to redeem. He could be in bondage and couldn't do that, could he? But in this case, Jesus Christ is free to redeem us because he didn't need to be redeemed himself because he was the only one without sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank You.